Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Perisphere. Together, we interview leading authorities, and we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects related to women's health. Please remember that the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and they are for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show and it's our pleasure to bring you Carrie Pagliano, a physiotherapist from Washington DC and and a friend of mine, somebody who I met back in 2016 uh, on a course, you know, interacted with her online a little bit, but um, you know, maybe if we've got time we could go visit that story, but since then Carrie has been... Um, has been a friend of mine and we had great times on that course. So uh, it's great to have you here, Carrie and Marika. Welcome, welcome back. Marika's been overseas. I've been, I am overseas. Um, That's the beauty (laughs) of the interwebs. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. And we're going to, have a little bit of a chat today about pelvic health physiotherapy, which, you know, apparently you may know a thing or two about. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, we've got the wrong guest. Exactly. Um, in, all, in all seriousness, though, uh, we, we are really, really so excited to have you on the show, Carrie. And um, I've also been very privileged to have quite a few conversations over the last um, year or two while working together on some of the Girls Gone Strong material. And it was for me, it was lovely to have someone of your caliber reading through the stuff, making sure that, you know, that um, the content was was really good quality and things like that. So I really appreciate that. But let's start with talking a little bit about you. And uh, we'd love for you to tell our listeners about a little bit about your background in physiotherapy, maybe a little bit about how you came to be working in women's health and what your role is now. Sure. Um, so I've been a practicing uh, physio for 20 years which makes me feel really old now. Um, And I originally didn't plan on going into pelvic health at all. It sort of, um, it came to me when I moved to DC, I had been out of uh, practice, I guess I'd been out probably about a year and a half and had a wonderful mentor who brought me into it. And um, I was practicing pelvic health separately from orthopedics and then realized one day that it was just, you know, orthopedics in a warm, dark place. And um, they've kind of been together ever since. Um, so I, I've been doing that most of the last 20 years, um, and have a practice of my own now for the past year and a half, which has been fantastic. So I primarily work with, with women, um, prenatal postpartum, a lot of athletes, um, a lot with diastasis, pelvic floor issues, pelvic pain, kind of you name it. Um, and then I also serve, um, as president for the section on women's health for the American Physical Therapy Association soon to be known as the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy. So I've been on that board, I think this is my fifth or sixth year now, and um, I'll roll off of that position into past president in uh, February 2020. So that's, that's been uh, definitely a, a lot of work and effort, but um, a huge part of, of my journey with uh, this area of practice. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Carrie, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, it's great to hear the name change and... Um, and all the work that you've been doing 
Um, and, you know, one of our other friends, Sandy Hilton, was president before you, I believe. And, um, you know, just... She was our, our director of programming, yep. Director of programming, yeah. So fantastic yeah. To, uh, to have all these great, great people um, taking women's health forwards in the U.S., uh, so how does somebody train to become a women's health physio, uh, you know, in America? Sure. So the, the, the path in the States, um, I think it's coming sooner in the careers of our, our, uh, our therapists. When, when I came out of school, um, again, this was 20 years ago, um, it was expected you work a couple years and then eventually start to um, find continuing education courses um, take that practice a little bit. We have um, students now, I'm, I'm, I work at a local university here, Marymount University. We have students that are interested in this um, in school, which is amazing. Um, and so some of them are even able to do some of this uh, postgraduate education while they're in school, and that helps them do internships during school, um, set up for residencies, um, those sorts of things. So the education pathway is gone there's just a lot more options now instead of doing just the postgrad um, education courses you can really get involved in this um, at a student level and and really start from scratch um, from the beginning of your career being involved in pelvic health so it's it's changed but it's it's been really in a, a, a nice forward direction so a lot of physiotherapists will do sort of weekend courses and mm -hmm. They usually start with the internal stuff pretty early on, Carrie, or is that something that where people often, I want to say dabble, but, you know, do a little bit of the pre and postnatal stuff and then move on to right. pelvic floor think, treatment? Yeah, I think it used to be everybody to, to go in this area thought that they had to start with like a level one coursework. And, and we have coursework through the, the section of women's health. Um, and that usually that level one coursework, you start with internal right away. Um, I think now, again, there's, there's women out there who, um, or uh, women, men across the board, uh, therapists who are interested in working in this area, but may not quite be interested or ready to do internal work. And so the nice thing is there's, there's a lot of private coursework out there now that will start to look at this area. And then if they want to continue further, then they'll do the internal coursework. So I think there's more people taking more varied pathways than there used to be. Um, so the variation provides a lot of options for patients too. Like not every patient necessarily needs an internal. Sometimes people need, you know, good sports background or orthopedics or something like that. So there's lots of options. Yeah, it's, it's um, funny that you said. That. <laughs> I'm looking at Anthony Lowe right there, thinking he doesn't do internals. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I think that's a really good point, and um, you know, it's it's. I think you have a lot of therapists that. Um, if they started just with pelvic health and did internal only, they feel very strongly about that. And they may not have another skill set to fall back on or to leverage. There's other therapists and, and you know, I can kind of speak to this. I, my background is orthopedics. I feel very strongly about that movement assessment. And then the internal, you know, that's, that's just icing on the cake for me to be able to see that whole picture. So, um, again, I, I think it's nice that we have options, but, you know, if you're doing internal, it's great to have somebody to refer to for that orthopedic or neural piece or movement piece and vice versa. If you don't do that, it's great to have somebody that you can collaborate with if you choose not to do that. So either way, the teamwork is the best approach. Yep. Teamwork makes the dream work. Sorry, we've got like a, a big delay from America to Perth. 
Um, so, <laughs> sorry about that, Marika. I, I was actually just going to ask, ask a question about um, what people call themselves because, you know, um, I think this, this can get a little bit tricky for uh, the general public. So if they're right. looking for you know, a, a women's health physio or a public health physio. Like in Australia, we, we can't really use titles unless somebody is actually titled right. by the Australian Physiotherapy Association. So it might be that, you know, you're a, a physiotherapist with a special interest in whatever, sports or musculoskeletal. But is that a similar case in America? Like if, a, if someone in the general public needed to find help with incontinence, for example, what right. would they look so I, that actually was one of the drivers behind, you know, starting to look into the name change for our national organization. And that process was, was a five-year process. Um, you know, when you have patients who are male or children or LGBTQIA, I mean, were they comfortable going to the PT locator for the section on women's health and trying to find help? Um, and so again, that was a, definitely a consideration looking at name change. As far as officially, um, the only certifications that we have um, that are board certifications. Um, so for example, I'm board certified in orthopedics and women's health. Um, it, one of the things that our national organization has to look at now because it's not under our umbrella as the section is do we rename that exam to be more reflective because the content is reflective. It's just, you know, what do you do with the name? But I would say, you know, as, as a business owner and having worked in, um, in hospital base, um, I think the tendency is to go more towards pelvic health because there's definitely more practitioners that practice across the board, pretty much whoever walks in the door, that's who they treat. Um, so I think that's the tendency where things have gone definitely the last, I would say, three to four years or so. Um, but I think the other thing for us, too, in the States, um, you know, the, the last uh, year or two, uh, Larry Nasser case with gymnastics has really um, put our profession, um, unfortunately, on the defense to defend the legitimacy of what we do, um, our ethics, our training, our use of um, protective equipment, including gloves, um, chaperoning, all that kind of stuff, um, because a lot of what um, he did was under the guise of pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, so we really had to step up our game in the States, um, unfortunately, because of uh, the, the poor behavior, um, the criminal behavior of one person um, to really, you know, prove this is who we are. We've been trained very well. Um, we, we, this is what we do and it's legitimate. Is it, um, is it possible to call yourself uh, a pelvic therapist a pelvic physio or a women's health physio if you've not done any training in it? Um, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no governing body over those terms in the States. Um, the only term that, that there's um, kind of rules around is calling yourself obviously a physical therapist. You need to be licensed in your state and have passed national boards. But anything other than that, there's no, um, unless it's on a state-by-state -state basis and there's nothing that I'm aware of, um, that prevents somebody from calling themselves that. I mean, I would hope they wouldn't do that unless they knew what they were doing. But um, again, the only thing that's governed is the, the use of the term physical therapist. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's just, um, yeah, you know, I, I know for me, for example, I do work 
in the area. I do work in pelvic health and, and I don't, I like, I don't call myself a pelvic health physio. I have a special interest in women's health, but, um, right. you know, I, I'm sure that there are some people out there that go, well, you know, it's just Kegels, so I can help you. Um, it's one of those things though, too, that, um, and again, I'm a huge advocate for our professional association. Um, I get a lot of questions all the time where, um, members say, well, did you see this person doing this? Did you see this person doing that? And my answer, um, you know, when they're saying what's, what's the association going to do about it? Um, and my answer is always, we are our association. Um, you know, we're not the police, but we can only be as active as our membership. Um, and in the States, I think it's only 30 to 40% of, of physios are a member of our national association. Um, so we're just over a hundred thousand members. And then, uh, the section of women's health, we're, we're sitting at around 3,500 members. So, um, if there's questions of that, uh, my answer is always, you know, I, I, I would love some help pushing the boulder up the hill. It's going to go a lot faster with more of us pushing. Um, and, you know, I can't have my eyes on everything, nor can the association. So if we all pitch in and support um, our profession and our practice and make sure that patients have legitimate care with people who are trained, um, I, I think that's the best thing that we can do to, to support this type of practice is, is advocate for ourselves. Absolutely. And, um, and I think, I think, uh, that the training there, and there's many different ways to train to be a public health physio and, um, and, you know, really appreciate the work that you're doing there. And, um, I, I know for me that I got, I got into it and I tell the story on my courses because, um, I was covering antenatal postnatal so antenatal clinic and the postnatal ward I was covering in a hospital and, and I got called down to the antenatal clinic and I had no idea what I was doing. And I thought, well, maybe I should. And that started my journey, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. I, I, and I hear a lot of, um, I hear a lot of women's health physios. Um, and this is by no means the unique experience. I just want to make that clear, but, um, I was hearing a lot of women's health physios getting into women's health because they would have babies and then they might have, some issue and then it becomes oh my goodness i didn't even know this was a thing oh my goodness physios deal with this i'm a physio and uh it seems like that was a traditional pathway to get in that way but um like you said mm -hmm. things are different that's actually the origin yeah that's actually the origin of our association so our association um is i think it's 43 years old now I'm, I'm the same age as our association. And um, that's, that's where it started, where physical therapists who were um, moms and having issues and couldn't find help. And um, when I, actually one of my advisors from PT school was one of the, the first members, and she would tell stories about, you know, having secret meetings in bathrooms to start the organization and, you know, all that they had to do in the wow. 70s to, to advocate um, for, and, and back then uh, the name was, uh, the section for obstetrics and gynecology. Um, so how far that we've come since then, but that's, I mean, that's one of the most, uh, I think, common ways that women get into it. Um, I'm really pleased now that, that a lot of men are, are interested in getting involved in pelvic health and I'm finding, I'm really having to advocate to, um, 
you know, male students that want to go into pelvic health clinics, there's a barrier to them. Male uh, pelvic physical therapists that um, should be treated the same as female ones with respect to chaperoning um, and working with opposite sex patients, like we're having to advocate for everybody right now. So it's, it's really interesting, the journey that, that we've had to follow, but definitely prenatal postpartum has been a huge, um, I think, entry point for a lot of therapists. And yeah. that's amazing that somebody obviously said, we're talking about a group of muscles and connective tissue. They just happen to be somewhere that we don't often see. Um, but it's still physiotherapy. We can strengthen that. You know, we can, we can see what could work functionally better. Um, Carrie, just to give people who have no idea what pelvic health is about, a little bit of a clue as to what your day might look like. Can you give sure. us just a bit of a as to the kind of things that you see on an average day? Sure. So um, I'm just looking at, at today, for example. Um, I, the patients that I see tend to vary in age. I see uh, kids as young as seven or eight. Um, I see women all the way um, typically up to menopause, um, just the way my practice is set up, but in pelvic health all the way to 80s, 90 years, years old. Um, the patient population could be men, women, kids, um, transgender, um, surgery related to pelvic uh, organ prolapse or continence. Um, there's a lot more patients that are um, having surgery related to diastasis recti or that abdominal separation um, now. So trying to uh, really advocate for patients getting pre and post-operative therapy in, in that area. Um, a lot of, of my treatment, and again, this, this isn't necessarily every PT, um, there's usually a really significant subjective component, just like any other PT assessment. Um, but lots of times these, these patients have been passed around to a lot of different people, um, and they, they've seen their gynecologist or their urologist or their GP or, you know, and, and lots of times there's multiple issues. And so the beauty of working in this area is you really uh, typically get anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour to work with that patient. There's, you know, discretion, you're behind a closed door if you're doing internal work, that sort of thing. And you really um, need to establish a rapport very quickly with patients because they're talking about intimate things like um, peeing and pooping and sex and um, things like that. And um, it's a wonderful opportunity, and this is why I love it so much, uh, to take a very complex problem and kind of spread it out and figure out the components that may be in our wheelhouse musculoskeletally and may relate, you know, up to other orthopedic issues or pressure issues or things like that, um, where you need to refer out to um, counseling or sexual health. Um, you know, where a surgeon might be helpful for medications or Botox or something like that. Um, where it would be great to work with a coach or a trainer um, that's familiar with their type of exercise that they want to get back to, but they don't know kind of how to bridge that gap between, you know, immediately postpartum and, and getting back to like CrossFit or running or something like that. So um, we really get to touch literally all areas of, of medical practice. Um, and, and again, you really get to have um, a nice close relationship with that person because you get to share a very um, intimate part of their life. Um, you get to know their kids and their babies and how they're doing and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of a, you know, a broad swath of, of what we do in a typical day. 
Um, but yeah, I, I love it because it kind of hits all the bases and you get to, to work with a lot of other people in, in the healthcare team. You never get bored, do you, Kerry? Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I think no. um, one of the great things about pelvic health, and I guess I've been in women's health for a while, but more pelvic health recently, and mm-hmm. it's life-changing stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really do think that some of the issues that you come across, and, and Anthony, you'll know this too from, from working with your clients, is that, you know, when you actually support them in, in whatever they want to be able to do, but help those symptoms, it really can mean that they can have a better relationship with their partner or go back to work or go back to the yeah. gym. And um, it, it's, it's very rewarding, I'm finding. Yeah, I think the other thing that's really exciting too is that there's so much that we don't know. Um, I mean, again, how we treated patients 20 years ago for vulvar pain. Uh, I mean, literally, I remember um, one of the instructions we were supposed to give if they had you know, burning or itching is after they get out of the shower to pat the area dry, put a light layer of Vaseline on and, and air or dry it with a cool setting on a hairdryer. I don't know what that was supposed to do, but that was definitely <laughs> like, that was one of the things we said. I mean, fortunately we understand um, the multi-system uh, influence a lot of uh, these issues have, but there's so much we need to understand in research. And, and I try to be really upfront with my patients, especially if it's complex. Like we're doing the best we can to make educated guesses on this stuff. And hopefully, you know, three, five, 10 years from now, we'll have a lot more information. Um, But, you know, we're literally on the ground in the clinic trying to figure out some of these things. And that's the exciting part is we have the opportunity to look at things in a different way and be creative about it. And, you know, kind of all bets are off as far as, you know, is is there one way to to skin the cat here? Um, And I, I think that, for me has been one of the things that that really has kept me here is solving complex problems, being able to be creative with the solutions, being able to talk to other people that don't practice in this area um, to get ideas and basically bastardize it for our use. Um, And that's really fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, The the creativity and the progression, like you said, you know, the progression, I, I was one of those physios um, very early on that it was like, oh, why would you go see the women's health physio? They're just giving you Kegels and it's not yeah. even working. You're not even doing it in what I would think the right way is because I'm just seeing all this bearing down and, um, you know, just to see that progression, like you said. But what you said about the vulva pain with the Vaseline and the cool dr- setting on the dryer, I actually wonder, I wonder if it's, actually like a form of desensitization treatment like exposure therapy and do you know what i mean anyway that just got my nerve break no i just i know i gotta watch it with you instead of using a feather you're using the little hair the hair dryer (laughs) yeah no i think it i mean the the intent was to lock the moisture in and that was you know the idea but oh unfortunately we know much more now yeah no, I, I appreciate your your creative thought process on that, but it was way simpler than that, and it, like which was totally wrong. So, cool. Thanks cool. for running with that, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was just like, oh wow, because I'm sure it worked for somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that well, somebody got saying, somebody better yeah. with it, and I wonder if it was like yeah. gentle desensitization, because you don't, yeah. 
Maybe. You don't do stuff that doesn't work. I'm not going to go back and find out. <laughs> no. Right. And we're not right. suggesting that that should be the treatment. I was just having a, having <laughs> no, a note no, up. No. no suggestion. <laughs> no. Um, so just drilling down just a little bit. Um, yeah. What, what uh, you know, somebody who has a baby um, and wants to get a check with you, um, and, and, you know, if I could right. break it up into two parts, that would be nice. Um, mm -hmm. How many people come in, they've got, no, no diagnosis, nothing going on that they know about, but they want to come in and see you because it's good to get a women's health check after um, mm -hmm. they've had a baby and hopefully before they go back to exercise, you, you know, you literally work around the corner from the CrossFit gym. It's fantastic. Um, and then, yeah. and then um, for those who do get a diagnosis and then seek you out because they've been given a diagnosis and, and have seen you, um, what does an assessment look like from you? Right. So a couple things uh, affect the answer. So I think traditionally um, over the years, you would seek care from a, a referring physician and then go to, to PT or physio. Um, all 50 states in the U.S. have some form of direct access. Um, so you can be evaluated by a physical therapist by law directly without a physician's order. There's variations on what happens from there, but you can seek that care. Um, I think the, the more women have advocated for themselves, the more, um, and, and I think the more that our profession um, has let the public know about this, it opens up a lot of opportunities. So the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists about a year, year and a half ago, um, put out a statement on the fourth trimester. And in that, they cited physical therapy as playing a role in the fourth trimester. So putting those two pieces together changes, um, I think, for, for women, typically how they, they may want to look at advocating for themselves. Um, so I, I'm really fortunate in, in I, I work in Arlington, Virginia, but in the DC metro area, we have a lot of uh, women that are very educated, will advocate for themselves. Um, they have no problem seeking care early. So I'm able to see uh, women now, uh, I have women contact me literally within days of delivery because they've read so much about they don't want these other things to happen to them. Um, so they want to be proactive about it and or they've heard friends that went through things or whatnot. So really, I think the drive to change has come from um, women themselves, um, as opposed to, you know, the medical profession changing how that they, they look at it. Um, but, you know, I have women that come in two or three weeks postpartum, whether they've had a vaginal delivery or C-section, there's so much stuff that we can do from an educational aspect. I know there's concern, you know, don't do anything before the six-week mark, but if you've had a kid before, you know that those first couple weeks, you don't know which end is up, and there's so much to be said for helping a mom find uh, comfortable positions for their back for nursing or, you know, figuring out how to get out of bed without putting stress on that C-section incision site um, to, you know, they tell you, you know, don't, don't use your abs after, you know, C-section surgery. Well, if you have another kid, your other kid doesn't care what just happened and you may have to, you know, pick up your toddler and things like that. How to use breath strategies and pressure control strategies 
to, you know, occasionally have to pick up your kid and put them in, you know, the, the crib or the car seat or something like that. You have, so I, I think the education is based around how do you get through those first couple of weeks and you don't even have to do an internal assessment. I'm fortunate enough, I work with um, a lot of real-time ultrasound. So again, we can get an assessment of what the pelvic floor is doing without doing that internal assessment. And so um, what, what I've really been trying to do is uh, in our local communities here and with the voice that I have, be able to, to teach women that you need to ask for this. You need to advocate for early care instead of, and, and there has been some more media um, discussion about this, is waiting till six weeks too long. Um, can things happen in the meantime? Um, you know, if we're not told that having leakage right off the bat is, you know, it should, you may have it the first couple of days, but it should start to resolve. If, people, if, if this continues on for several weeks and people are waiting for that six week mark, what could we have done sooner to change pressure control strategies or, or things like that? So um, I think the drive is to get earlier education and access care um, sooner. Um, I would say that percentage of patients is increasing by the day. Um, and I'm hoping, honestly, again, and I, I think a lot of this is because of resources um, available on the internet all over the world, um, that the number of patients that get to physical therapy after seeing, you know, four or five, six, seven physicians, um, that that number starts to go down um, because women are educating themselves, they're advocating for themselves, they're accessing sooner, um, and they're learning that there are other options other than take this medication, or let's just wait and see, or you're just stressed out and it's just, uh, you're breastfeeding and that's why it's painful to have sex or, you know, things like that. So I, I think the percentage uh, accessing care because of a referral is reducing and self-referral uh, is increasing. Just just a note on that early access, um, Carrie. So mm -hmm. here in Australia, we have a lot of um, public health physios working in the hospitals, whether mm -hmm. it's in the private or public sector, where they will typically um, talk to as many women as they can postnatally before right. they kicked off home, which these days can be as early as six to 12 hours. Um, right. but, but certainly trying to triage the women who are more at risk um, especially if they've had a third or fourth degree tear, that'll often be done in hospital. And ideally the women will get sent to an outpatient clinic. They'll get, right. there will be that. Process. Um, are there pelvic health physios working in the hospitals systems in America? So is this something that is done routinely? So there are smatterings. Um, I think it's geographical. I think it depends on who's around of, of physios that are trained um, actually in labor and delivery kind of birthing physicians whatnot. Um, there's some that are in kind of that acute care environment or the high-risk pregnancy environment will be able to educate. Um, I think that's a huge opportunity for growth, especially in the States. It's not standard at this point. Um, if, if there's a strong maternal fetal program in a hospital um, and a strong pelvic component in a hospital, that might be where you would see that match. But it's unfortunately, it's not standard. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities in acute care not only with uh, pregnancy postpartum, but also uh, geriatrics. Um, if you think about incontinence, it's the primary uh, issue for fall risk. Um, so, you know, just educating acute care therapists or uh, therapists that are in um, subacute, just about basic education on stress incontinence or urgent incontinence. If we can increase um, their knowledge and understanding to just you know, take the edge off of some of these patients. I think there's so much that we can do. So this kind of almost goes back to 
Anthony's question about people um, calling themselves a pelvic health physio. I mean, I tell my, my university students, I said, I need you guys to be able to screen out. I don't want to see every patient. Um, I want you guys to be able to screen the ones that really need our care and our expertise. But a lot of basic things, I want you to have the understanding um, and feel comfortable asking the questions, giving basic knowledge and education, um, because that can make a huge difference with so many different people. And if that means the fall risk is reduced or um, just educating a mom, you know, it, when she's immediately postpartum, these are things that you might want to look out for that would be red, yellow, orange flags. Um, and you, you're going to want to consult a, a physio, you know, within, within this period of time. I think we all within our field need to advocate um, we don't necessarily all have to do internal or be experts, but we all need to have a baseline level and impact where we can. That's awesome. This is like a rally cry to our listeners. Oh, yeah. No, that's like, my jam. <laughs> the all of my students know this. Broaden <laughs> your horizons yeah. to all our fit professionals and our general public listeners. You know, the demand, if the demand is there, the services will, will follow. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about uh, abundance mentality. Um, there's so many people that need help. And there's so many of us that, um, you know, we all have our, we're, we're all able to give something. It's just depends on, on what we're able to give. But um, this is going to take everybody to, to, to make the shift. Um, the nice thing in the States, I've, I, I want to say this year in the last couple of months, I've had a couple of our members of the section contact me directly that they've taken um, steps to advocate on a state level with their legislators to get legislation to get early postpartum care and, and that fourth trimester emphasized. And um, again, you know, being in the DC area, advocacy is you know, very, very close to my heart. Um, anything that we can do to get members to feel that energy, to feel that drive, to make that difference and make that change, it's going to take all of us in some way to support it, but we can make a difference. And that's the part I'm really excited about. Amen, sister. <laughs> and I, no, look, I, I, I'm on a committee for the APA. I'm actually on a musculoskeletal committee. I, I probably should shift to the public health committee. Nah, but, you're good. You know, we're, we're all, we're all, you know, we're all volunteers. Right. Um, we all are doing our bit to lift the profession, to advocate where we can, to promote courses, to put on lectures. Right. Um, and the more people that get involved, the better. Even just giving yes. feedback, you know, like yep. if members contact Carrie or those in Perth, contact me and say, hey, this is what we're interested in. Um, we want some help with this. Um, yep. Can someone give a, an article that we can promote here? You know, yep. the more of us that get involved, the better. It's so easy to sit on your ass at home. Um, <laughs> like it really is. But the more of us who, who, who get a little bit more active, um, yeah. it, just, it, just, it, shares, it shares the load, you know. It makes it, it makes Absolutely. It Hey everyone, it's Marika here and I interrupt the podcast just to let you know about an amazing opportunity that Anthony and I have to share with you guys today. So we recently worked with Girls Gone Strong and the Coaching and Training Women Academy to create a free five-day course. This course is called What You Must Know About Pelvic Health, Your Ultimate Guide to Working with Pregnant and Postpartum Clients. The good news is this course, this course is totally self-paced, it's entirely online and it's 100% free to you. It was created specifically for physios, coaches, trainers, and other members of the pre and postnatal healthcare team. And when you enroll in this course, you'll learn, for one thing, all about pelvic health, why it's important, and actually what pelvic health physios actually do. Uh, we talk about how a coach or trainer can be a really valuable member of a woman's healthcare team. And we'll talk about what's their, what their scope of practice is. 
we'll discuss how you can collaborate with other healthcare team members to improve client and patient outcomes, as well as how you can build your own interdisciplinary referral network so that you improve the, the so that you can improve the quality of care for your clients and patients. And all of this while growing your business and making more money through a steady stream of qualified referrals. So as I mentioned, enrolling in the course right now is totally free. All you have to do is click in the link in the show notes that we'll put below, and then you sign up and you get immediate access to the course materials. This free course is a unique opportunity to level up your skills and keep your pre and postnatal clients safe, healthy and strong during and after their pregnancy. And look, we're really hoping that together we can raise the standard of care for pre and postnatal women everywhere. And we need your help and we'd really love you to join us. Okay, now it's time to get back to the podcast. Anyway, we digress. We, we can get very political. That's <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about incontinence. Yep. So for people that don't know a lot about incontinence, and it seems to be, I think um, this is an area that people are learning more about and being more knowledgeable about, but I still think there's a bit of a mentality that, that if we talk about stress, urinary incontinence, that it's, right. eh, it's one of those things that happens after you have a baby. Um, could you just give us just a few um, ideas of things that you would do treatment-wise sure. to help someone who had leaking with, let's say... Um, sure. So I think one of the most important things um, to help women understand um, is there's this stereotypical idea that first of all it just happens, and second of all, if the treat the only treatment is kegels or pelvic floor contractions, and if you've done that and it doesn't work, there's really no option other than surgery. Um, and educating women to understand that uh, uh, relaxation of those muscles and coordination is actually just as important as contraction. I think really opens the eyes of a lot of women um, to see that there may be options that they hadn't even thought about. So um, when I talk to patients, I mean, we literally look head to toe, um, breast strategies, tension strategies, we, we look at um, and I educate them on how the pelvic floor is a respiratory muscle and how it's involved in controlling intra-abdominal pressure. Um, it's, it's a lot more than just sex and peeing um, and posture. Um, and so I think the more that they understand that, then it opens their eyes to, okay, well, what, what does it look like when I run? Or, you know, what part of running do I have a problem? Do I have problems, you know, when I first start out? Or is it, you know, an, uh, 45 minutes into the run or only when I push the jog stroller? Um, and really, I think the more you can get understanding of uh of the situation and you, you really get buy-in from these women that it's not oh i tried this and it didn't work i'm stuck it's no actually there's a lot of nuances to this and you know the, the hard part i think in this too is that there's a lot of things that we can control and there's also things that we can't um and understanding that you know the the biology of your tissues the extensibility may play a role um, you, i always tell them they can blame their parents for that um, you know, how, how they've moved prior to this point, how they've kind of um, held tension or things like that prior to this point. Uh, my big joke is, is living in DC. I really, I, I definitely have a job because everybody has tension up here. Um, you know, and one of the first things I have people do is pay attention to how you breathe. Do you hold your breath during the day? And again, if you're a mom and you work in DC, you're here. <laughs> um, and I'm sure DC is not the only place. Um, and so, 
um, looking at all the possible contributors. And that's why I talk about laying all the pieces out on the table and figuring out where we have the most opportunity to make an impact and where we can take the edge off of different things that may actually result in symptom change. So my goal is to do as little as possible to get the most result. I'm a mom. I don't have time for, you know, an hour worth of exercises. Give me three things that I can kind of edge into my day or, or throw in with my workout. And if that makes a difference, great, let's, let's run with that. So that's kind of the, 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 the story that I talk about with my patients uh, specific to stress incontinence. It's, um, it's so awesome to hear such a holistic approach, you know, and um, it's important to have that holistic approach. And like you said, yeah. there, there are many little nuances and there's many, there's many things that we can change just a little bit. And, um, you know, and it's, it's so varied and which is why the individual assessment's so helpful. But there's certainly, like, you know, as somebody who does an external assessment and helps people get back to what they want to do, okay. you know, I, I always prefer to work with an internal therapist. But like you said, sometimes people have been passed around a lot and they've already gone down that route. They don't want to go there anymore. Or they just don't want the internal. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's still lots of people we can help and, and have helped just oh, by doing the little things, absolutely. you know. and. And I loved what you said earlier about screening the people who, who really need that, that help from an internal therapist. Absolutely. Um, uh, it's, it's, I, I would say it's a transition step at the moment just because there's not enough women health physios to see all the women that need the help. Um, right. You know, right. ideally, there'll be enough for everybody. <laughs> so, well, um, ideally, we reduce the risk factors. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, well, what a lovely segue into the next part. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the risk factors? What are some of the influences that pelvic health has on general health and your general health has on, um, on, on pelvic health and, and, and then the effects of these influences, you know, public health affecting other areas of their life so their relationships their activities their sports um, their work life their their identity can you speak to to that sort of thing the interplay between public health general health contributing factors risk factors big question right. i'll just sit back now no 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 <laughs> Not a broad question. Um, how does public health affect life is I think what you asked me. Um, so I, I, I think that the, the beauty of uh, public health right now is that it's not, it's coming out of the darkness, no pun intended on that, um, in that people are feeling more comfortable discussing it. Um, you know, 20 somethings that want to have an intimate relationship with somebody are discussing it if they're having pelvic pain and aren't able to have sex. They're discussing it. They're asking and, and demanding uh, more. Um, and I think that's made a huge difference. I, I think the awareness of issues postpartum has increased so that I, I get a lot of women, they're uh, very active and they're considering pregnancy um, and they want to know how best to exercise. They want to do the right thing. They don't want to do the wrong thing. Um, and I think having those discussions that involve that 
this part of our body is really important. Um, I take it back honestly to, you know, honestly to how we teach our kids. Um, my daughter example, she's, uh, she's five and she very much knows where her urethra is and where her vulva is. Um, and not only to protect her from a safety level, but so that she understands her body and doesn't think it's, it's weird or abnormal. She knows what it looks like. She knows, you know, if something's wrong with it, bless her heart, she was learning to ride a bike a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, mama, my vulva hurts. And she was sitting on this hard bike seat for a couple hours practicing. Um, and she feels comfortable talking about her body. It's not this foreign thing. And I mean, you could go back and have the same conversation about pain with kids and understanding how their bodies work. It becomes this less foreign place. And I think the more we understand, the more we feel comfortable asking questions if something is not um, happening the way that we expect. Um, and, I, you know, might that get us to the point where we don't have women who are 35 um, they're married and they want to consummate their marriage and have a baby and they're on the clock with that and they, they need to fix this issue now that they've had for, you know, 15 years. I would love it if we could educate um, people much more about this part of their body so that they can ask for, for help sooner. And we don't end up having some of these problems that people are trying to, to deal with later in life. Um, I think also addressing, um, you know, Postpartum, I say, you know, once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum. The, the issues that we have, um, you know, postmenopausal um, can, even if you've never had stress incontinence and now all of a sudden you're, you're perimenopausal, menopausal, and you're having issues, you know, when you're getting off the saddle at, at soul cycle, um, because of the hormones related to that area, understanding how that can play a role. We have more and more um, people living longer and having sex later in life, which is amazing. We want them to continue to have that, but also understand that if you are having discomfort because of um, you had radiation in that area or surgeries or things like that, how you can have um, satisfying sex life or reduce your fall risk or things like that. I think just understanding that um, you would talk to a, phys a physical therapist or you know a GP or anybody to talk about these issues and, and know that there's options. And I think in the past, um, it was very behind closed doors and you know things that maybe our parents or our grandparents dealt with and didn't really talk about. Um, and it's much more out in the open now. And so when you talk about it, when you talk to your friends about it, you, you know, you learn, oh gosh, you know, there's somebody down the street, um, who work kid, our kids go to the school together and this is what she does. Wow. Can you imagine somebody, you know, treats this area and oh, by the way, my eight-year-old son is still bedwetting. Is that normal? Um, and, and just how those conversations go, the more we can talk about our bodies and understand them and ask questions and not be just told, oh, go have a glass of wine and suck it up um, or things like that. I think the more we can be honest about these discussions, um, it's just going to improve access to care and, and hopefully push the, those research dollars so that we can get on top of some of these issues that have been more complex. Did that answer it? <laughs> Did you want to say something, Anthony? <laughs> no, great, great job, Ant good, great job, Carrie. That was a big question. <laughs> you know what? It was probably my fault because I was I was like writing that question, and I guess um, what I was thinking is just just alluding to the fact that for, that pelvic health issues have such an impact on quality of life. Oh, absolutely, hundred um, percent. 
exactly what you're saying and, and, and relationships and participation in physical activity and being yeah. able to live independently. And you talk about falls risks and things like that before. So um, it's just, yeah, it's such an important field to work in, but just on that note, cause you mentioned um, sexual relations a few times in that. And one thing I will just yeah get you to clarify for people, because I think, I, was, I had an interesting conversation with a, a client a little while ago. I saw her after a C-section and she had laboured, she had laboured for, I don't know, 15, 20 hours or something and then right. had a C-section. You'd go through that period of, um, of uh, dilation. Afterwards, when she returned to intercourse, she said, oh my God, yeah. I didn't know sex was to hurt. So would you like right. to clarify, Carrie, should, should penetration be a painful experience for women it shouldn't um and and there can be any number of reasons from overactive pelvic floor uh hormone issues um overactive um sympathetics there can be a lot of different reasons for that but i i think that's a really great point understanding across the board it shouldn't be uncomfortable and and i think you raise a really great point about women who have c-sections um, first of all, everybody, you know, who delivers a baby, chances are you were pregnant for 40 plus weeks or so or around that. Um, and you still carried a baby for that period of time. There's still effects of the pelvic floor. So, um, people that think, oh, I'm going to spare my pelvic floor by having a C-section. Um, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, and that actually was my experience with, with my oldest, um, that we, we, uh, labored for, I want to say three days, got to push, um, he wasn't having it anymore and, and ended up in a C-section. And I, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Um, I always tell my patients that I kind of went through as much as I could on both sides to be able to relate to everybody. But My goodness, you um, must have been exhausted. Oh, Three. yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I was in the hospital almost a week. Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but it, it's one of those things that, um, especially women who've gone through that experience, um, it's it's more common than you realize, um, especially you know women that really are trying as much as they can to have a vaginal delivery, and sometimes they just can't. Um, but there's a huge effect to pelvic floor to labor and push, um, even if you end up with a C-section. And and again, from my experience, and I don't think it's unique. Um, I the stories I share. I mean, I was so swollen. After the surgery, I needed to send my mother-in-law out to get new underwear because my thighs literally would not fit through my holes in my underwear. Like it just all these other issues, nerve issues in my wrists, um, just all these things that people don't really talk about. Um, and again, I'm a biased data set. I, you know, any physio who works with patients like this, it's a biased data set. You have people that have gone through things, but um, those sorts of things happen. We need to be prepared for it. I laminated my birth plan, so I'm allowed to make fun of myself. Like, no one should do that. <laughs> um, but I think the more we can educate women that these are possibilities, please be prepared for them. But these are signs that something you're going to probably need care on the other side of it so that people can prepare for that. Because we have this vision that, you know, pregnancy, pregnancy is supposed to be perfect and everybody's supposed to walk out of the hospital in their pre-pregnancy genes and, and be having sex and running marathons within six weeks postpartum. Um, is that not... Was that not like that for you, Carrie? Because uh, um, <laughs> I had a new one the other day, though. I had um, marathon at six weeks. 
No, she, she was cleared um, post-C-section at two weeks to run. I've never heard that one before. Um, fortunately, she was very educated. Um, and uh, I saw her at two and a half weeks. And I said, you know, with all due respect, biology is not on your side. At this point, we need tissue healing. So um, that's the first time I've heard that. But um, We had Michelle Bridges do that at three weeks. Um, so she's she was one of the biggest losers, uh, personal trainers. And, and she was running at three weeks. And, um, mm. and I was asked to give a comment on that <laughs> on, on a radio yeah. station. But yeah, it's certainly not oh. a common experience, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had well, a lot of tissue. She gave birth and she started running again the week after. Um, but mm. she was someone who was going to run no matter what. And funnily enough, yeah. she came to see back pain, but that's, that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, have we just frozen? I thought we'd just frozen up there. Look, um, just, uh, there's two things that I want to do, Carrie. Number one, um, mm -hmm. just on an official role type thing, because, you know, we are speaking with the prayers. Um, if someone wanted to, to see a public health physio, how would they find one? What's the best way to, to, to get that going? And then I've got another question right. for you after that. Sure. So um, in the States, uh, the, the section on women's health, we have a, a PT locator um, on our website. So it's womenshealthapta.org. Um, and you can click on our, our PT locator. Um, you can plug in a zip code and a diagnosis and find uh, PTs in your area. Um, another way to do it, um, I'm also a national media representative for the American Physical Therapy Association, and they also have a, a PT locator, and their uh, public-facing uh, website is moveforwardpt.org, and same thing, you can click on um, PT locator, plug in a zip code, what you need, whether it's pelvic health or otherwise, and, and find physical therapists. Now, that said, the people that are on those websites are members of their national association, um, so there's other other sites out there that will will uh, help you find people, but um, those are, are uh, members of our national association. Excellent. And Carrie, how do people find you? For me, oh my gosh, I'm everywhere. Um, so I, I I'm Carrie Pagliano Physical Therapy. Um, I'm on Instagram, Carrie Pagliano. Um, I'm on Facebook as Carrie Pagliano PT, and uh, on Twitter as Carrie Pagliano. So uh, I, I try and I try and stay consistent. So, and your clinic, sorry, your clinic name, Carrie Pagliano it, PT. Yep. Yeah, and we're in uh, Arlington, Virginia. Yeah. Sorry for getting that bit wrong. I know. I know where you are because I've been to your That's place right. and I've been to your gym and you have. I, I, I should know this stuff. And uh, <laughs> it's That's just all right. it's literally across the bridge is Washington DC, right? Like you're not. Yes. You're not yeah. far from Washington yep, I, DC at all. Um, no, if, if you're not from here, it's all, all kind of the same. But if I've lived here for, uh, I moved here right before 9-11. So uh, we're, we're very specific about what side of the bridge that we're on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And um, just for the people listening, if you're not in the USA, your local, physiothera mm -hmm. your local physiotherapy association in your country will have some form of um, directory that you can find somebody, um, you know, there's IUGA, IUGA, which no doubt have some sort of 
um, way of you finding people mm -hmm. for the Eurogynecological Association. But um, otherwise, if you have any difficulties, I'm sure you could contact. Uh, I know me and Marika always field questions about where to find somebody, but um, Carrie knows lots of people so uh, around the world. So, so you can always yeah. contact us there. Now, just lastly, in the last couple of minutes that we have from you, can you share with us your journey in the last few years? Because... Um, <laughs> And you, you, right? <laughs> no, actually, I'm not even talking about that part. Just, just the exercise part. No, no, just the exercise part. It, you didn't even have to mention me. It's you celebrated. You celebrated a lift recently, and I wanted you to share that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really, really quick story. Um, I've, I've been an athlete and a runner all my life. Um, and, uh, my kids are, are five and eight and, uh, I had, a hip surgery, FAI surgery, I guess it's about 12 years ago now and some back history, things like that, you know, normal things. And um, really struggled after having my kids trying to kind of find my way again and finding pain-free movement. And I kind of played with, with yoga and Pilates and that sort of thing and um, really found weightlifting about three years ago um, with, with yours truly here, Anthony. Um, and really, it, was, it wasn't for me. It was, um, I was working with more patients that were lifting and trying to understand that a little bit more. And I will never forget, um, and it takes a lot to convince me of things, and I will never forget when um, Richard Fly, who's a trainer that works with you, um, made me do a full butterfly sit-up holding a 10-pound weight. And I'm pretty sure I gave him the look of death and wanted to punch him in the face. And as soon as he gave me that, I'm like, there's no way this is gonna work. And I realized, okay, I can do this easier with a weight. And then I think um, the other thing too, I mean, I've, I've had continence issues. I have diastasis um, and small prolapse. I've kind of worked every area that I work in, which is the irony of all ironies. Um, and it wasn't until that weekend where I saw an opportunity for myself to, um, to get strong um, and inadvertently found that, you know, a loading tissues is a fantastic approach for, you know, for my hip, even after, you know, 10 years. And it's the one thing that's brought me the ability to run pain-free and wear heels at conferences and travel and, and lug around my kids pain-free and reduce my symptoms. And, you know, when I started working out, my, my gym is two blocks from my house and on the other side of the fence of my practice. Um, I didn't tell anybody I was a PT for almost a year. Um, cause I just wanted to go in and understand, um, and learn. And now I think when you understand the culture and when you understand who you're working with and they, they trust that you're going to listen and not just go in and, you know, be a bullheaded therapist. Um, you know, I think that's really where, where it opened my eyes to the opportunities that are available for our field is the more, the more we, we work together and understand the, the other points of view and find different ways of doing things. Um, it, it not only changed how I practice, but I mean, how I feel, um, and my physical, uh, regimen, you know, as a mom, as an athlete, um, all of those things. So for me, it's just as been as much of a personal journey as a professional one. And I think, um, 
you know, when you care about something and when you want to understand it to its core, I think that comes through. And I, I hope that's, you know, one of the, the reasons that, that my patients do get better quicker because I get it. I understand it. I'm not going to ask you to do an hour of exercise you don't have time for um, without much result. Um, and so that's a little bit about kind of how I came to this place that I'm, I'm at now. And and who knows, you know, three, four, five years, 10 years from now, where, where we'll be at that point. But um, it's exciting to see. It's kind of nice going undercover in gyms, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's scary. Like, I don't want people to assume that I know what I'm talking about because I don't have a lot of experience lifting. So I want them to assume that I, right. I know something and give me, a lot, give me feedback if I'm not doing it right. Don't assume that I know. Um, yeah. But to, to, I mean, to, to speak to Anthony's, I mean, I, I remember the course uh, I attended with him a couple of summers ago. And I, I think I was lucky to deadlift like 60, 65 pounds or something like that. And it was, you know, there was women in my group that were, that were, you know, pretty strong and I was not feeling that way. And um, I guess it was probably a couple months ago, I, I think I deadlifted 195 and I probably could have done 200. And um, I never, I never, you know, would have thought that would have been something I would have been able to do. But, I, you know, there's nothing like being able to show somebody that um, they can do things that they never thought possible. Um, and again, I think in practicing in this area, um, I'm not only able to do that professionally, but personally and with friends and colleagues and, and so fortunate to be able to do that in my community. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's so exciting. I remember the look on your face, the look of fear, <laughs> the look of fear, and then the yeah, look of, wow. <laughs> but um, no, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's been other lifts as well that I, that I see every now and then, you know, I did this. But, um, yeah, you know, that, that heavy deadlift too, that, that, that's awesome. And, um, you yeah, know, it's... No, it's cool. It's, I, I think the reason why I asked the question is because I think it's important for people to know that, you know, the president of the APTA section of women's health understands exercise, understands what it's like to lift something heavier than herself, um, you know, and what yep. that means and, and, and how she got herself there, you know, and, um, and you know, you're not just some political animal in DC area, very particular, you know, um, like this isn't a theoretical thing. You're at the cold no, face. I put in the work. <laughs> I put in the work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I put in the work. I put in the work, but I think it keeps you legit. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it was good. We got to do a workout together, which was fun too, which, um, I yeah. really, I really enjoyed. I love and, that. Uh, yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you for that, Carrie. And, um, Thank you for everything and for everything that you've done for the profession. And I, on, you know, honestly call it a privilege to be your friend. And it was great to catch up with you last oh, fall. You. And, um, Absolutely. you know, uh, I look forward to, to more interactions with you. Um, and thank you for coming on this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Thank um, you so much, Carrie. It's been awesome. And we'll let you go do what you need to do this morning. Cause we know you need to run off, but thank you so much. <laughs> Um, in our show notes and everything, we'll put all your details on how people can get in touch with you and follow you, and um, and also ask that you know anyone in the states who who is interested in public health, 
or is working in public health, please put your hand up and um, help out and get yourself committees and offer, offer to help and put the word out because the more people that are involved. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Thanks very much. Bye. See ya. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.